get right to the word this morning. Please turn with me, if you would, to Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 23 through 26. That's our Old Testament reading this morning. I always want you to see the connection between what we're doing in the new and how it's seen or foreshadowed even in the old, even the portions of the message. So, um, Jeremiah chapter 9, and beginning in verse... 23, we're to trust in the Lord. He says this, thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will punish all those who are, circ- who are circumcised merely in the flesh, Egypt, Judah, Edom, the sons of Ammon, Moab, and all who dwell in the desert, who cut the corners of their hair. For all these nations are uncircumcised, and all the house of Israel are uncircumcised in heart. Amen. Now let's turn to Romans Chapter 2, as Paul continues on, and again, Paul's laboring. What's Paul teaching us in the first three, two and a half chapters uh, into, into chapter 3? That we're under sin. That's a big deal. That we know God, that we reject God, that we're under sin. We deserve that punishment. That's Paul's big thrust of his argument at this point. We need to get that in our hearts and minds because we live in a day and age where we want to downplay sin and it's okay, just try your best, you know. God still loves you no matter what in that way. Paul's saying, look, man, we're in big trouble. There's no escape hatch. You can't go here to try to escape. You can't count on this to try to escape. You can't do this to try to escape. You need to acknowledge that your sin, we're trapped in our sin And that's what makes the gospel so sweet. So Paul is turning now to uh, the the Jews, the ones who had the word, kind of like the the church in our day who have uh, all the the riches, all the blessings of that covenant. And yet that's not enough if you don't have faith in Jesus Christ. So Paul says this, beginning in verse 17, and hear the word of the Lord. Paul says, but if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve what is excellent because you're instructed from the law, and if you're sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. For circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law. But if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Then then he who is physically uncircumcised 
but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision, but break the law. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you and praise you. And I pray, Lord God, that you would pour out your Spirit upon us, that the power would be here, Lord, and present as, as we come before you and your throne of grace, that you would be with each and every one of us to instruct us, to help us to learn, Lord God, to bring conviction, encouragement, Lord God, that, that we would truly see our need and run to Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, that we would grow in our faith, that we would not remain babes, Lord God, but there would be maturity in our lives as Christians, and that would come forth. So, Lord, please be with me. Help me to bring your word forth again with that power, Lord, even as we look to you and sit at the feet of our master and our teacher, even Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen and amen. Praise God. Okay. We talked a little bit last week that even without the word, without the written code, without the law, people show that they're accountable to God. People show that they know God. Paul said last week, remember, people become a law unto themselves, and they show when they do the things that are according to the law that they have the law of God written on their heart, so they can't escape God. When you do things that are righteous, when you do things that are good, you show that you know God. And that you are accountable to him. Amen? So we, we talked about that last week. We talked about conscience. We talked about our thoughts. How that convicts us. How that shows us. Even if you don't have the word. Even if you say you don't believe in God. You still show that you know God. And that you're accountable to God. And that you will answer to him. So even the good things that you do. Show the goodness of God. When you, when you adhere to that law. You're showing every single time. That you know God. And you're accountable to him because he's the basis of all goodness. What makes a good thing good? The word of God and God does, right? That's why we preserve life. When you preserve life, that's a good thing. Why? Because God is the author of life, right? When you work hard, that's a good thing. Why? Because God has given us work to glorify him and to help others. Amen. So everything you do shows that you know God. So we talked about that last week. Without the law, you show that you know him. Every time you live in accordance with it, you're an image bearer of God. You're accountable to God. There's no one who, who can escape that fact. Now, when you break the law, when you transgress the law, when you sin against God, it shows what? That you're a lawbreaker, right? And it shows that you're a sinner in need of his grace and mercy and forgiveness. So you need redemption, reconciliation, and forgiveness. When you keep it, you show that you know him. When you break it, you show that you need him and his forgiveness in the Lord Jesus Christ. That counts for everybody, not just those in this room or Christians, but all people. So we looked at that last week. Now, to those who have the word, Paul was speaking last week to those who didn't have the written code, to those who have the written code, the covenants, all the privileges of being uh, a Jew, what that meant to be, and we can even translate that to today. All the privileges of what it means to be in the church, to be in a covenant community with God, it is a great privilege, isn't it? We'll talk about that especially next week when we get into chapter 3, or next time. I will not be preaching next week, by the way. Next time, we'll see that. But it also brings about greater culpability. We talked about that last week. 
Those who know more are going to be more accountable to the Lord before him. So don't pretend like, oh, I didn't know, or I didn't know. If you know what you know, you will be held accountable before the Lord for what you have been given. Everything that we have, the word of God, the teaching, the preach. Listen, it doesn't guarantee your eternal salvation. That's a big point that Paul's making here. You still need to see yourself as a sinner because that's really who you are apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't assume, don't take for granted that because you're in the covenant community that you actually belong to Jesus Christ. That's a big deal. That's a big point. That's why we need to preach the gospel even from the youngest age. Don't take that for granted because you're all around. I was raised in a, you know how many people say they're raised in a Christian home? And I went to church, and I went to Sunday school, VBS, Christian camp, blah, 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 this, that, and the other. They go to college, they walk away from the Lord Jesus Christ. They start living in the world. What happened? Right? You are all around the Lord Jesus Christ. You lose your faith. You're challenged by a professor regarding the Bible. Oh, then the Bible can't be true because all these variants and all these manuscript errors. So you have all these people just because of faith. You never really had that true faith in Jesus Christ. That's what Paul's saying here, that you really need to trust in him. These are wonderful things that we have great advantages to be sure, but you don't count on these things for your eternal salvation. Learn this right up front. That's what Paul's saying. He's talking to these people saying, you call yourself a Jew, you rely on the law, you rely on the law, and you boast in God in that way. Learn this. Possessing the word, knowledge of its contents, even instructing others. He talks about here, you're teaching others, even instructing others without true faith. And where there's true faith, it's always going to be followed by obedience. You're never saved by your works, but when you're truly converted, you want to live for the Lord, don't you? You want that to, it's going to come through, it's going to shine through to one degree or another that I have been transformed. My life, I'm not who I was over there before. I am in Jesus Christ and my life is going to reflect that. That's our obedience. Don't, don't you desire to obey Christ even though we don't, even though we often fail? If you're a Christian this morning, your desire is to obey Jesus Christ, to know him and to love him. And that comes through when you trust in him. So Paul says, you call yourself a Jew. The Jews had a great heritage, didn't they? They were God's chosen people. They were called out, beginning uh, especially uh, with Abraham. They were part of that covenant community, descendants of Abraham, different than the other nations, in covenant with God, given all those advantages. They were the Jews. They were to be a light unto the nations, so on and so forth. God gave them the, the, the law and the covenants, the prophets, all of this so that they would be a light unto the nation. So there is a great heritage there. But apart from faith in Jesus Christ, what does that heritage mean? What's that heritage going to get you? It's not going to get you anything. Maybe cuts in the line on the way to hell, but that's about it. You're not going to get grace and mercy by just being a Jew. And you could translate that. Just by being in the covenant community is not going to save you. That's Paul saying that right here. You know, you rely on the law. You put your hope in that law. It's true. They were given the law. How magnificent. The law of God is wonderful. Absolutely. And we're specifically thinking of, of the moral law, but the civil law, the ceremonial law as well, all pointed to Jesus Christ and finds its fulfillment in Christ. But what did they do with the law, man? They misunderstood it. They misinterpreted it. They misused that law of God. That's what ended up happening. They didn't see the law for what it was, right? Standard of righteousness for God's people. Amen. Praise God. But if you're not in the Lord Jesus Christ, what's that law tell you? It should tell you... I need you, Jesus, because I can't keep this. 
Right? Here's the standard. It is perfection. I, I, I can't do this. So the law, as Paul says, is meant to drive us to Christ. It's our teacher in that way. They didn't see it like that after a while. It wasn't that for them. It was trying to keep it, maintain it, boast in the law, right? We have the law, we have this. And, and that, that leads to uh, so many different things, but especially legalism, right? Here's what you need to do. And we're trying to keep this law, so God, are we pleased with us? So what are we going to do? We'll add a little bit more to it over here, right? Here's what the Bible actually says on Sabbath day and Sabbath restrictions. But we're going to add a little bit more just in case, just to keep you safe. So we're going to build one fence after another fence after another fence until there's no place to go. See, that's misusing the law. It's great to have the law, but the law doesn't save you. And Paul's saying that you have the law, you boast in God. Yes, it's good. There's good boasting. Should we boast in the Lord? We just read about that in Jeremiah. Again, um, again, 9.23. We'll put that up, or, up there. Jeremiah 9.23 and 24 says this. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, the mighty man boast in his might. We just read this. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. Let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. There's passage after passage. It tells us not to boast in ourselves, not to boast in man, but our boast is in the Lord Jesus Christ. If we're Christians, amen. Praise God. We love him. Our, we always point to Christ. You know, it's always about Jesus. Even the gifts that we have. Oh, you're such a great work. You did such a good job. Well, we praise God for that because of the, we understand. He gets all the glory in every single place, in every single thing. Amen? No glory for us. Always glory unto him. Our boast is in the Lord. He's our God, and we're thankful for that. But there's also another side to that boasting, and this is what they would say. They boast in the Lord here, but it wasn't that kind of hum humble boasting. You know, hey, don't look at me. It's all God. Their boasting is like, yeah, kind of look at me, and, and God loves me, and, and, you know, God is proud of me. And so, you know, I'm, I'm kind of boasting in, in, in that way. It's kind of a cocky, little bit arrogant, you know, God loves me kind of boast. He knows how wonderful I am. And yes, he's wonderful too, but, but it's that kind of boast. It's, an, it's a self-centered boasting in God. We have this God and he is, you know, he's God better than those other gods, but not truly looking or trusting in him. So even as they're boasting, says you call yourselves a Jew, rely on the law, boast in God, you know his will, approve of what's excellent, knowing his will. They had knowledge. It's great to know the word of God, isn't it? I want you guys to read the Bible every single day, all the time. So you know what the word, not reading just to read, oh, I read it, I've gone through this, I did my Bible plan. There's a little boasting in that too, if you're not careful. No, I mean, you need to be in the word. I don't, if, even if it's one, one verse a day, you know, being in the word, but being in the word prayerfully, meditating on it, seeking to understand it, learning, growing, what it actually teaches, and then living that out in our lives. They knew his will. They knew the knowledge, the contents. They had memorized, meditated. Some of the religious leaders, by memory, we think we're good because we memorize a few verses. We have them. The leaders, they had the law memorized. The first five books of the Bible, they had them memorized. They had them down. That's if you were a good Jew. You kind of see, I'm trying to please you, Lord God, trying to do this so I could boast a little bit in myself. Paul's saying, this is not right. It's good that you have all these things. These are wonderful things to have, but they need to be appropriated correctly. You approve of what's excellent, of course. The doctrines, the teachings, the principles of Scripture, they're going to say that's a good thing. He goes on to say, and you're sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, 
a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having the law, <clears throat> having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth. Okay? He goes on to say, like, you, you have this. You're a guide, an instructor. But then he goes on to say, you have, in verse 21, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself while you preach against stealing? Do you steal? While you say one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who hate idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, dishonor God by breaking the law. Or as it's written, the name of the Lord is blaspheming among the Gentiles because of you. That's a huge, huge, um, huge import in, 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 and important for us. You say you're a light, you say you're a guide, you say you're a teacher, but you do not have faith. If you don't have faith, if you don't have true faith, then you don't really know what you think you know about God, even though you know the contents of the word. You understand? Because it's by the illumination of the Holy Spirit, and you only have the Holy Spirit as you are in the Lord Jesus Christ, as he illuminates our hearts. There are people who are atheists that know the Bible better than we do, and they can explain the doctrines, at least how they're taught, in a deeper fashion than so many of us in this room can do that. And yet they don't believe in God, and there's no power there because they're not trusting in him. They don't have the faith. You don't really know what you think you know, even though you make confident assertions. So in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, certain persons, by swerving from these from the truths of the gospel, have wandered away into vain discussions, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they're saying or the things in which they make very confident boasts about assertions about in that way. In Matthew Chapter 15, I'm going to turn to Matthew 15, verses 8 through 14, if you'd like to turn to Matthew 15. And they're talking here about the traditions and commandments. And the Pharisees had come to Jesus and they said, you're breaking the tradition of the elders, you're not washing, so on and so forth. Jesus rebukes them and says, you're breaking the, the commandments of God. And he talks about the Corbin. And in verse 8, he goes on to say this. I'm going to read 8 through 14. He says, and this is the truth about those in the church who have a form of religion, who have everything connected with godliness, but they don't have Jesus Christ. He says this, this people, they honor me with their lips. You honor me with your lips, but your heart is far away from me. He wants your heart. You could say all you want, but he wants your heart. He wants you to believe and trust in him. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And they... And he called the people to himself and he said to them, hear and understand. It's not what goes in the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a person. Then the disciples came to him and said, Jesus, he said, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? Of course, he was damaging their pride. He answered, every plant that my heavenly father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides. You see what Paul was saying? He said, you think you're a light to the blind. No. It goes right back to, the, to what Jesus is saying in the Gospels. They're blind guides. And the, the blind lead the blind. Both will fall into the pit. In Matthew 23, verses 1 through 3. So he talks about the religious leaders being a blind guide. But then Jesus said to the crowds and to the disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees sit 
on Moses' seat. That's the seat of the law, the Old Testament. So do and observe what they tell you because they do know the truth and they may speak the truth. And where they touch the truth, then you do need to obey them. You can't disobey if even a teacher, when he speaks the truth, to that place you have to obey that, even if he goes astray in other ways. You understand? So it said, look, do what they tell you when they're being biblical, even if they're not being biblical in their lives. It doesn't, it doesn't discount the scripture. You understand? Does that make sense? Because they're still teaching the truth, even if they're not living it. So insofar as they're teaching the truth, you must abide by that. Then Jesus goes on to say, <laughs> but he says, they sit in Moses' seat. So do and observe what they tell you, but not the works that they do. For they preach, but they do not practice. And that's the big deal. So they're, they're preaching, and they will touch on the truth. And insofar as that is true, then you must obey and believe. But don't practice what they do because they are hypocrites. And that's what he's telling them. Saying, don't. You need knowledge. Yes. You need to know the content of faith. Absolutely. You may even have conviction regarding the content. But without faith, without that personal trust in Jesus Christ, without reliance on the Lord, without that hope, that, that gift from God, you will do what the Pharisees do. You'll do what all unbelievers do. Listen, always learning, but never coming to a knowledge of the truth. That's from 2 Timothy 3. Let me try to explain this just a little bit. When we live this way, what they're doing here, leading the blind, teaching, being all around the truth, it's like you're setting a course, you're going somewhere, and you put the coordinates in, but you're just a little bit off, just, just a tiny fraction off, okay? So, so here's the course that you want to be on, and you, and you plug that information, but you miss one little point. What's going to happen, right? You're going to start off pretty good. It's going to go all right, but eventually that little bit of deviation is just going to go, go, and go until you find yourself completely lost and apart from the very thing you say that you love and trust. They have it. They had it, but they don't possess it. It's the difference between having the word and possessing the word. You can have it outwardly. You can know it. You can know the facts. But if you don't possess Christ, you will never truly know. So what happened? What's the result? Instead of coming to the light, they remain in the darkness. So they're not these teachers of light that they think that they are. And the people are lost, therefore, because they're listening to them. Instead of seeing the truth, they remain blind to the truth. Instead of grace, they remain bound to the law and they misuse the law. Remember what Jesus said in John chapter 5? You love Moses. You, you think Moses is the answer to you. Moses loved me, right? If you love Moses, then you would listen to me and you would follow me. But that's what happens here. You get up. Of course, you have it. You're around it. But you're, you miss it. You miss the main point. Instead of integrity, you're filled with hypocrisy. That's what he's saying. Like you preach against stealing, but do you steal? Right? And, you're, and you're living, that's a pattern of your life. You said you shouldn't commit adultery, but do you commit adultery? You hate idols, but do you rob temples? And so you're preaching against these things, and you say, as a Christian, I believe these things, but then you live opposite to that. Instead of rejoicing in Christ, which is what they should have done, the people with the word of God, Old Testament, they should have anticipated Christ. They should have loved Christ. They should have run to Christ. And again, if you read through the Gospel of John, Jesus is saying these things. Don't you know me? I'm from the Father. He sent me. You say that you know me, but you don't. Because if you did, you'd be loving me. You'd be trusting me. 
You'd be looking to me. So instead of rejoicing in Christ and receiving him as Savior and King, they end up rejecting him. They end up resenting him every single time. And this happens all the time. It happened then and it happens today. It happens all the time. It doesn't matter. You could be all around the truth. But where there's deviation from Christ, you will not love him. You will not trust in him. This goes for all religions, cults, movements. It doesn't matter. It comes down to moralism in the other places, right? Even with the Jews. Do the best you can. Do all that you can and then do more than you can and hope for the best. That's basically what all the other religions come down to. There's no grace. It's really kind of up to you. It's the person and work of Christ is always, always distorted. It's in, in this way. Ultimately, it's rejected. Even by the ones who say they love Jesus. Even by the ones who have the book. Even by the ones who are in the covenant community. Right? Jehovah's Witness. The person who started Jehovah's Witness, he didn't like some of the teachings in the Bible. He didn't like the doctrine of hell. Okay, I don't like the doctrine of hell. I don't agree with it. I don't believe that Jesus is actually the Son of God, full deity. So he rejected. So Jehovah's Witness, they have it. They have the book. They're all around. They deny the deity of Christ, that he is the Son of God. He's the first and highest creation. He's the archangel. Arch or Archangel Michael, that's who he is. They're far away from Jesus Christ. They need Christ. The Mormons? Jesus is not the second person of the Godhead. He's the firstborn spirit child of God who kind of owns this universe. And you too can become a God like Jesus and have your own planet if you're a good Mormon. See, they have it. They have the word. They deviate. See, it's real easy to go, go that way. What, what, what about liberal or progressive Christians right now? Right now in our church, and it's coming into the church, liberals and progressive Christians, what do they say about Jesus? Is he the Savior? So I'm going to read something for you right now. This is the current idea among progressives, those who will call themselves Christians, those who have the book, those who say they know and love Jesus, this is, this is the voice, this is the thinking. Listen to this. This Jesus did not come to suffer and die to misogynistically offer his blood to a sadistic God to pay for our sins, but to liberate us into a new community of joyful life. Jesus died on the cross because the mighty of religion and state did not accept his call to repentance in solidarity with the poor but sought to shore up their system of power and ideological justifications by silencing the voice of the prophet. This is the theology of progressive Christians who have the book. All right, it goes on to say this. His resurrection means that they did not succeed in silencing him. He rose and continues to rise whenever prophets rise, breaking through the system of lies and offering a glimpse of the true God of life who stands against the systems of worldly power. The cross is not a payment for sin or a required sacrifice of our well-being, but the risk Jesus and all people take when they unmask the idols and announce the good news that God is with those who struggle for justice and communicate loving life. That's Okay, so you have the word. This is what he's saying. You go astray. You could be all around, but not have him. 
In weak evangelical churches, Jesus is nothing more than your friend. He's nothing more than your confidant. Jesus is, you know, he approves of everything that I do, and he's good with me, and he gets me, he knows me. So I don't really have to obey him, submit to him, love him, you know, seek repentance and, and forgiveness from him. Jesus is my bud. Jesus is my friend. Jesus is my homie. That's what we have in the weak evangelical church. Part of the reason why we as Christians and as a church are so weak in this world. They claim to love God. They claim to love his word. But all they do while claiming to love his law is break his law with no repentance and no remorse. We all need to repent. And I know we're hypocrites at times. We're sinners, right? All of us. We, we could, if you say, yeah, but we struggle with that if you're a true Christian. There are hypocrites and then there are hypocrites. All of us, to one degree or another, say yes, and then we do the other thing. But if you're a Christian, you repent of that. You seek the Lord. You struggle with that. These people were not struggling with that. They're just up there preaching and teaching and saying and living a complete opposite life in reality with no remorse, no repentance. Understand? Because they don't have Christ, even though they're proclaiming Christ up there. That's why you need Jesus. That's why you need him. Don't, get, don't be fooled by being raised in the church, going to church every Sunday, going to Sunday school. That doesn't save you. Only Jesus Christ does. That's Paul's big argument here. When you do those things, when you live in that way, verse 23, you who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law, for as it's written, the name of God is blaspheming among the Gentiles because of you. And you see what this does? That claim, it dishonors the Lord. And so when unbelievers look at you in that way, you call yourself a Christian? You say you do the things that you do as a Christian? Well, what's the difference? Where's the difference in you? You give, when we do these kinds of things, when we live in this way, we give the world an excuse to reject. Not that there's really an excuse in their heart of hearts. And again, these are people that have veered from the faith, that have that veneer of Christianity. Say you're a Christian, but then you don't give a wit about Christ. You don't care about living for him all those kinds of things that we're talking about. But the world sees that. And what do they say? What do they say? That, 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 gives, them, that gives them another excuse to reject, to ridicule, and to resent you and Christ. And worse than that, when the world sees that, when he says, you bring dishonor, my name is being blasphemed among the Gentiles, it, it, it makes them feel safe and secure and vindicated in their unbelief when we don't live up to who we're called to be as Christians, right? It's the, they, they, if they see that you're not serious about your faith, if you call yourself a Christian and then you just do whatever the world does, oh, I'm a Christian, but I'm going to go out and party my life away and just mess around, sleep. I'm going to do whatever I want to do, but I'm a Christian. What's the world say when, they, when you say that? Okay, you're, but what's different? How are you any different than I am? You're doing the very same things that I'm doing. All you're doing is you're just calling yourself a, a Christian. If you're not serious, then the, the unbelievers are going to say, why should I worry about a God who's up there? You're not even serious about it. doesn't seem that you're worried about what God would have you do. Why should I? And then they'll say something to the effect, well, at least I'm not a hypocrite. I know that I do this stuff. I know the way that I am. You say that you're one thing, but you're doing the complete opposite. That dishonors the Lord. It's not, it dishonors his name. 
And they blaspheme his name because of you, because of that, because of that, that kind of action. You understand? It's a big deal. All your outward forms, your rites, your rituals will have no lasting value if you're not in Christ. You're squandering everything that he's given us and you're playing the game. He moves on to circumcision. He goes on to say this, for circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law, but if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So if a man who's uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his circumcision be regarded as circumcision? Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you. You have the written code and circumcision and circumcision, but break the law. I know it's a little confusing. There's a lot there. <laughs> you circumcised, not circumcised. He does this, you do that. Listen, when he's saying there, as he moves on to circumcision, this was so meaningful to the Jews. This was one of God's ordinances that he gave to his people. It meant so much. It was so meaningful. It was the sign and seal of God's covenant with his people. This is what shows the world that you belong to me, that you're separate from the world, prescribed by God in Genesis 17. It was the outward symbol speaking to the inward reality of change that you truly belong to God. But what was the danger? What's the mistake that so many made? They made the mistake of counting on the sign instead of what the sign signified. So they put their trust in the circumcision. They put their trust in being Jewish. They put their trust in having the Bible. They put their trust in going to the temple. You put your trust in going to church. You put your trust in doing your duties. You put your trust in doing what you're supposed to do as a Christian. It doesn't save you. So the circumcision, monumental, so significant. Paul says, if you don't live according to your profession, then it means nothing. Now he says it does have value. Now listen, when he says it has value, he says, if a man is uncircumcised, I'm sorry, for your circumcision indeed is a value if you obey the law. He's not saying you obey the law to keep it, to um, earn God's favor in that way, but there's value because your obedience validates true conversion. That's what it does. We're not trying to prove to the world that we're converted and saved. We're not trying to earn God's favor. We're just being who we are in Christ. And if you're truly in Christ and you're living for him, it's going to come through, right? You're not, you never say, I'm going to show this person I'm a Christian, so I'm going to try to do that. That gets into legalism. You should just be living for Christ no matter what, right? So when your faith is challenged, you need to answer accordingly, right? If people say, why don't you do this? You need to give them an answer from Scripture. Or why do you live this way? You need to give an answer from Scripture. That, that's just being consistent with who we are. So our obedience validates our conversion. As you walk, what did David say? Lord, I love your law. I love it. I love thy law. It's my, the precepts. They show me the way. They're light into my path. I want to live for you. I wish I could keep them perfectly because you love me so much. And even when I don't, you continue to love me. That's, that's the spirit. That's the attitude. That's what he's saying here. It's because he loves, his love is in you, and our life is an outward expression of faith in Jesus Christ. That's where our obedience comes from. Not trying to earn, not trying to impress. It's an expression of manifestation of that change that Christ has made in us. Now I know what you want, and I want to live for you because you're my God. That's it. Circumcision does no good if you continue to live in sin and, 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 and 
break God's law. You say, yeah, I'm a Christian, but you continue to live in this way, and that's the pattern of your life, without repentance, without remorse. Yeah, I'm a Christian, but I'm a terrible witness to you. Yeah, I'm a Christian, but I'm going to blow up at work. And I'm a Christian, but I'm going to say, well, that's not fair, and I want my rights. You know, I'm a Christian, but I'm going to go out and party every night, and like that's just what we do anyway. I'm a Christian, but I'm going to neglect my wife. I'm going to neglect my spouse. I'm going to fight against my husband and fight against what the rules that God has given me to do. That, that's, you're uncircumcised in that way. It doesn't matter how much you go to church and what you do. You understand? That's a big deal. That's what he's saying here. Conversely, by God's grace, those who are uncircumcised, even the Gentiles who keep the precepts, show the work of the Spirit and work of grace in their heart and lives. That's what they could say. His, his grace goes to those whom it will. And then they live for him. So you don't need circumcision to be Jew, to be a Christian. You don't need to be baptized to be a Christian. We, we are baptized following profession of faith to show our acknowledgement that we're in Jesus Christ openly and so on and so forth. Right? But it doesn't save you. You don't count on those things. Don't count on those things. And then verses 28-29 and he comes to the end of this section, and he says, and this is this mark this verse down. This is the transitional verse. This is so important. This is so key because it speaks to the nature of God's people throughout the ages. It speaks to the nature of the church. It really does. Like who's a Jew? Just the ones born physically? He says, No, no, no. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly. That's through circumcision. Nor is circumcision outward and physical. What do you mean it's not outward and physical? It is outward and physical, but it's not really outward and physical. What it really means to be truly circumcised means that you're believing and trusting in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation. Then you are circumcised, whether you're a Jew or a Gentile. For no one is circumcised who is merely outward, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, and that's what it always is. By the Spirit, by His grace, not by us, not by our works, not by indulging in what we can do, nor by the letter, His praise is not from man, but from God. This is the radical nature of God's people. This is what it is. It's not, this is the church. It's not about ethnicity. It's not about outward customs, rituals, rites. It's about the inward work of the Holy Spirit who applies the work of Christ to undeserving sinners. And that's what it's all about. Amen? Praise God. That's why we're here. That's what he's saying here. This is what it means to be a true Jew. Outward circumcision always pointed to the inward circumcision. That wasn't going to save you. That wasn't going to make you more special. That wasn't going to make you special in the eyes of God. It's showing what needs to take place and what does take place by his spirit in our hearts. So even in the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy, we're told this. Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart and no longer be stubborn. Don't worry about getting all the outward signs. If it's not inward, it doesn't matter. It's not going to help you in the end. In uh, Colossians 2.11, we're told this. In Christ, in him, you were also circumcised. In Christ, you were circumcised. Do you know that? Not with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. It's by the Spirit. We're circumcised by Him. That means it's, an, it's, a, it's a metaphor for being saved. We're in Jesus Christ. The outwardness is, outward works aren't going to save you or the rituals, but only Christ will. Philippians 3.3, 3, Paul says this, we are the circumcision. One other, past, other translation says, we are the true circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. 
See, where's your confidence? Is it in the flesh? Is it in doing? Is it in trying? Is it in going through with everything? Is it saying this? Or is it in Jesus Christ alone where it needs to be? That's the deal. The confidence is not in the flesh, but it's Christ. That's a true Jew. How many of you are true Jews here today then? That's what that means. Nobody raised their hand. No. <laughs> now listen, we're in Christ. And that's what he's saying. He's saying it's, it's, he is a Jew, not merely one outwardly, nor circumcision outward or physical, but a Jew is one inwardly. Circumcision is a matter of heart by the Spirit. We're one people, not two. You know Ephesians 2, he broke down the wall, broke down the barriers, brought us together. That's a radical concept for both Jews and Greeks, that the two become one in Christ. Colossians 3.11 says this, Here there is no Greek nor Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. True Jew believes in Christ, and that binds believers through all the ages. So remember, Abraham looked forward to Jesus' day, and what did he do? Jesus said, Abraham looked forward to my day, and he was glad. He rejoiced in that. See, Abraham looked forward. Moses, Hebrews 11, chose to suffer the reproach of Christ, we're told. Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Samuel, Hannah, Esther, David, Josiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, on and on it goes. And you, if you believe in Christ, the question is, do you believe in Christ? What are you counting on? Paul's saying, you can't count on anything else. Anything that you do, anything that you have been given, you must believe in Christ alone. Trust in him alone. And then all these things will be added unto you. And all these wonderful things that we do, that he's given us the ordinances, then they make sense, right? Then they help encourage and build us up in our faith. Those are wonderful things. But they don't save you. And that's Paul's point here. He's putting these guys, if you think religion is going to save you, that door's shut. No, not going to do it. If you think you're, you know, that you could do it with your, that's, that door's closed. Having, knowing, teaching is false confidence where there's no faith in Christ, and that faith is followed by that obedience. Okay, what are the implications? If you're a genuine Christian, let this be an encouragement and a warning to you not to be hypocritical. Don't be a hypocrite. Because it's not only the, the false professing Christians that are hypocrites. Oftentimes, the true, believing, regenerated Christians are hypocrites. Don't do that. Remember, it's so important for our witness to Jesus Christ. Don't give anybody an excuse to say, ha ha, see, I know we're not perfect and we love to say that, oh, you know, we're messed up too. We are, that's true, but we also have a standard and you're called to uphold that standard because we're representing our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, with what we say, with what we do and how we live. Don't be a hypocrite in that way. Don't let people feel safe in their sin because they're not. Don't give them that false sense of security that they already have. Don't uh, encourage that at all. If you're a professing Christian, disobedient ones, listen, examine yourself. Take this, take this to examine yourself because there were a lot of people there at that time who read this, thought they were going to be in the kingdom of God and the Lord's going to say, depart from me, I never knew you. Right? So examine yourself. See if you're truly in Jesus Christ. This is big. This is important. You can come to church week after week. That's good. You could study your Bible. That's fantastic. You should read the Word every day. Take your notes. Go to your Bible studies. Listen to good messages on 
YouTube. And yet, you leave here and then you live as you please. As if you've never even been here. As if you've never even been in the Word. As if you've never even been in prayer. You kind of revert back to what you've always done. You indulge in your gossip. You indulge in your immorality. You indulge in your worldliness. Christianity is, if that's you, then Christianity is something you're doing. And, and that's, Christianity, again, something you're doing or trying to do, but that's not who you are. True Christianity is, is being in Christ and living for Him. It has to be who you are, right? That I'm a Christian, and then what I do. I don't, I'm doing this, so I'm a Christian. No, 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 I'm a Christian, and here's how I'm living. Capiche? There's a difference. It's a big deal. Examine yourself. For the merely moral or religious ones out there, this is a call to truth and faith in Christ. You might know the Bible. You might know the contents of the gospel, and that's good. You should know the contents of the gospel. That you're a sinner. We all sin and fall short of the glory of God. Christ died for sinners like you and me. He was buried, raised on the third day. Believe, trust in him. You can know that. You can even believe that that's true. You can assent to that. And assent to, you know, I believe the scripture's true, especially most of it. You can assent to that truth. You can have the knowledge. You can assent. But if you don't have faith in Jesus Christ alone, then you don't have anything. Understand? He is the one who saves. Only he saves. Only he delivers. Only he reconciles. Don't trust in your knowledge. Don't trust in your disciplines. Don't trust in how much you've memorized. Don't trust in your catechisms for salvation. Understand? Because you might be on that, on that point where you're, you're just a little bit off. You're all around, but eventually you're going to find yourself rejecting Christ, resenting Christ, and living for yourself. Trust by faith in Christ alone. Not in yourself, but in Jesus only.